In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. It's March 16th, 2017. Donald Trump's presidency is just two months old. Into the White House's press briefing room walks Sean Spicer, his press secretary. Forgive you, we're a little late, so I'll give Jim a break on this one. Thank you. Well, you know, we're getting ready for this. It's another busy news day in Washington, though by this point, that's hardly a surprise. Trump and Spicer are hoping to set the news agenda with the administration's first budget. Sorry for the delay, guys. Uh, it's budget day. But there is another story dominating the headlines. Trump had just accused Barack Obama of wiretapping Trump Tower during the election. He'd given no evidence for the claim. Spicer when the questions begin, has come prepared. But let's go through what we do know, okay? Hold on, hold on. Let me, and I am trying to answer your question, Jonathan, if you can calm down. If you look at what the New York Times reported on January 20th... He starts listing what papers and broadcasters have previously reported in an attempt to back up Trump's claim. On November 11th, 2016, days after the election, Heath Street reported, quote, two separate sources with links to the counterintelligence community... The spiel lasts eight minutes. On January 19th, the New York Times reported the following. American law enforcement and intelligence agencies are examining intercepted communication... And And then, right at the end, he gives one more example. Last on Fox News on March 14th, Judge Andrew Napolitano made the following statement, quote, three intelligence sources have informed Fox News that President Obama went outside the chain of command. He didn't use the NSA. He didn't use the CIA. He didn't use the FBI. And he didn't use the Department of Justice. He used GCHQ. What is that? It's the initials for the British Intelligence Spying Agency. It takes a while for the significance to sink in. The White House press secretary is suggesting that GCHQ helped monitor his boss. Put another way, that Britain spied on Trump. The story exploded. Three years on, it still hasn't gone away. I'm Ben Riley-Smith, The Telegraph's US editor, and this is Crossfire. Episode 6, The Fallout. For this episode, I want to tackle that accusation head on. How did Trump come to claim that Britain somehow spied on his campaign? What exactly is being alleged? And is there any truth to it? It's a real rabbit hole. There are claims and counterclaims, loose comments, misinformation, all blurred together through the prism of partisanship or obscured by secrecy. I'll be honest. As a reporter trying to figure it out, it was a nightmare. At times, it felt like grabbing at air, trying to get a grip on something that's intangible. 
but it is, I think, worth the effort. Because when you untangle the threads, you get a sense for how Trump latches on to ideas and what the consequences can be. Let's start with that Sean Spicer briefing. The backlash was immediate and the response swift. GCHQ, the initials for Government Communications Headquarters, is Britain's secret listening post. It rarely comments on stories. For this, it made an exception. Nonsense. That was what a spokesman said about the claim it wired at Trump. Utterly ridiculous and should be ignored. There's the whole weight of government behind this. It's unthinkable GCHQ would have issued such a statement without clearing it with ministers first. So how did we get here? We need to trace the claim back to the source. First, that takes us to Andrew Napolitano. He's the former judge and Fox News legal analyst who Spicer was quoting. Three intelligence sources have informed Here's Fox what he said. It came Obama while discussing how Obama may have monitored the NSA, Trump. He didn't use the CIA, he didn't use the FBI, and he didn't use the Department of Justice. He used GCHQ. What the heck is GCHQ? That's the initials for the British spying agency. They have 24-7 access to the NSA database. So by simply having two people go to them saying, President Obama needs transcripts of conversations involving candidate Trump, conversations involving President-elect Trump, he's able to get it. And there's no American fingerprints on this. But that's not where the claim came from originally. Not really. It started with one of those three intel sources Napolitano talked about. A man called Larry C. Johnson. Larry, hello. Hey, how are you? Sorry for... I managed to reach Johnson down in Florida, where he now lives. He agreed to talk, and after a few missed calls, we eventually connected. So, who is Larry Johnson? Yeah, certainly. I was I, I was an uh, intelligence officer with the Central Intelligence Agency from 1985 through 1989. Uh, I had experience both on the side of operations, but I wound up as the senior regional analyst for Central America during the Contra Wars. I moved from there to State Department's Office of Counterterrorism. There I was in position as a deputy assistant director in charge of transportation security, anti-terrorism assistance training, and support for military special operations. Johnson left government in the early 90s. He began consulting and also appearing as a TV pundit on intelligence matters. As the years went on, he built a following online, but he also got more controversial. In 2008, Johnson suggested there was a secret tape showing Michelle Obama talking about Whitey. The Obama camp labelled it a smear. The supposed tape never surfaced. Johnson told me he first floated the idea of British involvement on Russia Today, the Kremlin-backed broadcaster. He later wrote a piece on the subject, which Napolitano read. In our chat, Johnson said he never claimed Obama gave the order, which is what Napolitano implied. Yet he did restate the core claim, that GCHQ, through its ties with America's National Security Agency, or NSA, got access to Trump's conversations. There's one thing to say, there is this system 
where theoretically the Brits can get access to information that NSA has collected. And then there's another thing, which is to say Britain deliberately accessed conversations of Trump that were recorded because the NSA didn't want to do it and get their fingerprints on it. Is it are you claiming the latter, or are you just pointing? No, I'm, well, no, I'm, I'm I'm saying that. Look, the U, the line between if you look at the material that was provided by Edward Snowden when he basically blew the whistle on what was going on with the NSA, the NSA and the GCHQ work very closely together, and the, they have ways of erecting what I'll call false Chinese walls, which give the illusion of separation, but in fact. Um, it's not real separation. So all electronic communications, anything that Donald Trump said on a cell phone was scooped up, as well as, you know, anything that you said on a cell phone was scooped up. This isn't theoretical. This is factual. It's in the documents provided by Edward Snowden. At this point, things began to go downhill. I wasn't expressing myself brilliantly, but I really wanted to press Johnson on this point. Yes, Theoretically, as shown by the Edward Snowden leaks he references, Britain may be able to access communications collected by the US. But that is very different from saying there's proof that Britain specifically got access into Trump's own communications. I tried again. But do you you see the difference? That's saying theoretically this stuff is stored somewhere and the Brits theoretically could get access. But what's the evidence that they got access? There are affidavits. There are affidavits out there by people like Bill Benny, the former technical director of the National Security Agency, which make that quite clear. My point is, I understand so, all the conversations are collected, but if you really boil down to it, what is the evidence that Britain accessed Trump's conversations, which is the nub of the accusation, really? Well, um, just what I'm told from people who have seen documents. Mm. But you can see how hard it is from the outsiders. If they can't, no. What I no. What I can what I can see is just will. What I can see is willful blindness on the part of people like you. Mm. I mean, are you really that ignorant, that trusting? I mean, for God's sake, the amount. You know, let's just take as an example. Right now, the assertion is accepted without one shred of forensic evidence that Russia hacked the Democratic National Committee. And we're told that by Robert Mueller, who said they spearfish. Not my words, Mueller's words. But there's not one shred of forensic computer evidence to corroborate that. But there is a whole lot of other evidence to actually refute that. And yet, instead of dealing with the evidence, the media goes off on this other tangent, and they just accept uh, accept right off the bat that anything that the intelligence community tells them, heavens must be true. Johnson went on a bit longer. Then I tried one more time. That was probably a mistake. Yeah, but so it happens I don't hundreds go, of times. Sorry to go back to it, but just that is different from saying categorically Britain accessed Donald Trump's conversation secretly. I mean, there is no, as far as I can see, there is no proof for that, which outsiders can see from themselves. Okay, we're done. We're done. There's no sense talking to you. You're not. You're not going to deal with reality. Okay. Can I ask you one just on the GCH? No, you, you can go. You can off. Is what you can do. So yeah, not a great ending to that one. But it is quite telling. 
it suggests that when Spicer repeated the claim that Britain spied on Trump, which ultimately had come via Napolitano and via Johnson, the bedrock was anything but solid. However, it's not the only allegation of British spying. So let's look at a second one. It involves the Foreign Office, a Trump advisor, and a British government minister. Yeah, so Tobias, look, he's a nice person. I, I never wanted to, you know, throw him under the bus or... But I, he was... We had suspicious interactions. You hopefully recognise this voice. It's George Papadopoulos, Trump's ex-campaign foreign policy advisor, who we focused on in episode one. The person he's talking about is Tobias Elwood. Tobias Martin Elwood, Conservative Party candidate, 25,221. Conservative MP and then a minister with the Foreign Office. We met in London and then we met in New York. Yeah, we had some personal chemistry. It wasn't like the downer or the helper meetings, but still there were very pointed questions. As if... I was viewed as a threat to somebody and that I was somebody that they did not want too close to the likely next president. Papadopoulos met Elwood twice during the 2016 campaign, once in the Foreign Office and once in a bar near the United Nations headquarters in New York. They talked about policy, Cyprus partly, which was an interest of Papadopoulos's, but also what Trump thought about Russia. Today, Papadopoulos looks on the meetings with suspicion. He sees Elwood not as curious, but somehow malign, of having ulterior motives. Getting him to spell out the exact allegation is hard. One of those grasping air moments I mentioned. Since leaving prison, Papadopoulos has linked Elwood to MI6 in tweets, though always loosely. He was vague too when I pushed him in person suggesting Elwood somehow knew he was being investigated over Russia links and was helping gather information. I don't want to say he was spying, essentially, but it's unimaginable that he would not be aware that he is discussing sensitive issues with the number one counterintelligence threat, apparently, in America at that point. So given the close ties between MI5, FBI, MI6, CIA, uh, the political relationship, uh, the close connections I was making with their government. That's that's what I can say about it. And I think uh, that's why the British now are very flustered and a little scared. Elwood's side of the story has been untold by choice. But once he was out of government, he gave me his account. Okay, I'm going to press record. Okay. Brilliant. Is that going? Yeah. We, as part of our outreach in the Foreign Office, uh, a lot of effort is made to try and understand who the movers and shakers are in as the, you know, the presidential elections uh, get closer. Um, this is very typical, actually, of all foreign ministries around the world and obviously in the United States is a critical ally for the UK and therefore we watch the 
the scenes very carefully and uh, we have strong relationships on both sides of the aisle uh, simply because the pendulum does move backwards and forwards. Uh, Dorothy was was one of a number of names that uh, was put together as it became apparent through open source that he was speaking on behalf of and uh, part of Donald Trump's team. And, and I should just put it to you, you know, his, his kind of key allegation that you somehow were acting as a spy either for the UK intelligence services and the US intelligence services and approached him in that capacity and were feeding information back to London and Washington. So I, can, I can confirm that I'm not a spy. What do you make of that claim that he, he puts towards you? I'm curious that you're even, you know, be honest, uh, giving him airtime because, you know, this is an individual that's uh, that's done time and has been uh, proven to be lying. And therefore, there's a question mark over a number of claims that he made. So uh, I've not spoken about this. I've not been drawn into commenting on it. It, it seems sensible not, not to actually fuel his enthusiasm to... You know, big himself up, uh, you know, and prove otherwise. So, uh, I haven't seen the need. In, in you know, it's, 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 he doesn't speak from a credible position any any longer. This is not a he said, she said. This is an allegation made by Papadopoulos without substantiation. As Elwood's denial underscores, there is no real evidence to back up the claim, and that's the key word in so much of this: evidence. Where is the evidence that GCHQ wiretapped Trump? Where is the evidence that Elwood spied on Papadopoulos? Not just circumstantial facts, they met, they talked, but ones that really back up the claim. The burden falls on the accuser to provide it. Without it, scepticism should follow. But I still think Papadopoulos is worth the airtime. Not because the allegation has the weight of evidence behind it, but because it doesn't, and that he's making it anyway. Just like the claim that came from Johnson, it shows the way even hunches like this become currency in Trump world. Went outside the chain of command. He didn't use the NSA, he didn't use the CIA, he didn't use the FBI, and he didn't use the Department of Justice. He used GCHQ. What the heck is GCHQ? And this is really the crux of the British spying allegation. The distinction between facts, supposition, spin and speculation. And all of them are at play in that claim about GCHQ. But while the idea of wiretapping Trump might be fanciful, a less central, less explosive but more precise bit of involvement looks more credible. It was one first reported in The Guardian. That, before the election, GCHQ spotted interactions between figures linked to Trump and suspicious Russians. They then passed the information on to American intelligence. During reporting for this podcast, I was told similar by one source from the British intelligence world. They said that routine UK collection of SIGINT, Signals Intelligence, picked up those suspicious conversations. Another person who heard the same is Greg Miller, the Washington Post's national security correspondent. He's won a Pulitzer and wrote The Apprentice, a book all about the Trump-Russia saga. And then you have other intelligence services, of course, that are also um, sending up red flags to the Americans along the way, a lot of it having to do with, you know, 
seeing Trump-connected campaign people running into Russian individuals, if not Russian intelligence officials, in unusually frequent ways. And, uh, you know, so it's, a, you know, it's an important point because it's not just the U.S. national security apparatus that becomes alarmed by this. It's, it's anybody else who's paying attention, right? It's a lot of other governments and intelligence services in Europe. And is it your understanding that GCHQ, the British listening post, played a role in that flagging up and alerting to the US? Yeah, although it's still murky to me how it's the particulars of their role. I mean, we've interviewed lots of people who, who have told us that GCHQ plays an important role in calling stuff to the attention of the American intelligence services in terms of contacts and communications. But it's hard to disentangle that still. It is murky. It's hard to disentangle. Understandably so. GCHQ is reluctant to discuss it. I did, however, get the chance to put it to Jim Baker. Baker was the FBI's top lawyer during the Russian meddling investigation, which means he was just one of a handful of people in the loop. Baker got to read the intelligence. He acted on the intelligence. In other words, he should know. I asked him straight out, if Britain was sharing information before the US election about Russia's attempt to meddle. His answer was intriguing. So I'm not going to comment precisely on what, on what the, the UK shared, but I, would, I, would, I, would, I have confidence that to the extent that Britain had, Britain's intelligence services and law enforcement services had information that they had assessed was relevant to protecting the United States and our electoral system, that had they had such information, they would have appropriately shared it. The thrust of what Trump has claimed is that Britain helped spy on his campaign. Do you have any kind of response to that? I have no reason to believe that Britain spied on his campaign. I never saw anything that would lead me to indicate that Britain would have done that. And quite to the contrary, uh, over the years, the British, British services and the American services are very conscious of the need not to engage in spying, which implies to me you know, some type of unlawful or illicit activity, that we don't engage in, in unlawful activity. And we don't ask each other to do that which we are prohibited from doing. So in other words, if the U.S. can't collect information about, let's say, an American somewhere in the world, if we're prohibited under our law to, from doing that, we don't try to use the British or Canadian services or whatever to try to accomplish the same ends. That's prohibited uh, in the United States, and the services don't do that to each other. But that is a distinction from if Britain or any other nation stumbles across information that might be relevant, they still may well pass it on. But that wouldn't meet your definition of kind of spying. No, that would be a lawful... Assuming that the, the British authorities collected the information lawfully under British law, they would assess it, determine whether it is something that could be passed to the United States, and if it, uh, it fell within the categories of the types of information that are passed, meaning essentially foreign intelligence information, evidence of, evidence of crime, evidence of some threat to the United States, then that would be passed. If it's some type of personal, salacious detail about an individual person, that would not be shared. If it was some type of political intelligence about campaign strategy, you know, of a domestic U.S. campaign, that would not be shared. If we, if we got some information, we in the United States got some information about, you know, the British campaign or, you know, 
whatever whatever political party you want to pick, we would not be sharing that kind of information. We don't share that. We share foreign intelligence information, evidence of a crime. Ultimately, I can't prove that GCHQ gave intelligence to help the Trump-Russia probe. And it's important to note, as Baker says, that if they had, it wouldn't necessarily be inappropriate. But I can lay out what we do know. A well-placed source told me they did. Guardian and Washington Post reporters have said they did. The FBI's top lawyer said theoretically Britain would. But I don't have the evidence to show it categorically. GCHQ, for what it's worth, declined to comment. But this is not how it works in Trump world. In Trump world, as we've seen throughout this podcast, crumbs of facts get swept into grand narratives, straining the connection to truth. Did Alexander Downer tip the Americans off to Papadopoulos' brag about Clinton emails? Yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean he was a spy. Did Christopher Steele make some explosive claims about Trump? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean he was deliberately funneling disinformation. Did Stefan Halper approach Trump campaign figures for the FBI? It appears so. But that doesn't mean he was spying in order to block Trump's candidacy. Yet the claims that Britain's intelligence agencies somehow worked to stop Trump's presidency continue to be voiced, loosely and loudly. I was and they come from the very top. Okay, me, me, in my campaign, I ran, I won, I was investigated. You won't say that, will you? I was investigated. I was investigated and they think it could have been by UK. Trump's Justice Department is now conducting a formal probe into whether Britain and other European countries helped investigate his campaign's ties to Russia. It will likely report before the 2020 election. The thing is, the political incentive for pursuing these claims is just so clear. If voters believe the Russian meddling probe was a stitch-up by Trump's enemies, the president avoids the blowback. Has Trump's willingness to bash Britain damaged UK-US intelligence sharing, such a central pillar of the special relationship? Greg Miller thinks so. I think that that's a. I think it inevitably has. The question is how much, right? I think all close allies of the United States now, and especially ones that share a lot of intelligence with the United States, like, like the UK does, right? Like the Five Eyes partners do. They have to factor this into their calculation now when they share stuff with the Americans. Will this be put in front of the president at some point? And if that happens, what's he going to do with it? Can he be trusted to keep it silent? I think that even in the United States, American intelligence officials are careful with what they put in front of them, which is really, really hard for them to do. Jim Baker, now out of the FBI, is more optimistic. If we're looking 10, 20 years down the line back at this point, do you think the UK-US interrelationship will still just be as strong. It would have passed through the Trump presidency largely unscathed. I'm not going to say it, it has not had an effect, but I think it will be, I think it will survive, yes. Baker could prove right in the long term, though the fact the question even needs asking is telling enough. The Trump-Russia investigation may have officially ended, but it left its mark on more than just the president.
Thank you so much for listening to this series. If you want to learn even more details about this extraordinary story, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash crossfire.